This is our church at its best, celebrating this Holy Week, all these scriptures. We began with a reading from the prophet talking about the indignity and pain and suffering of the cross, the obedience of the cross, and, and how horribly difficult that was to deal with the cross. And then the second reading leads us to the glory of the cross as it says these words that Jesus uh, came in the, not in the form of God, but the form of a slave suffered on the cross, but it brings us to the glory of the resurrection. And the Passion then tells us the story. Now this is the Passion according to Matthew, slightly different from Luke, but in it we get the gist of the Gospel story. And the truth is that the Gospel, the Passion, it, it is a story about the past. There's historicity in it, there's a lot of power and meaning in it, but it isn't just a story of the past, it's our story. And it's meant to involve us, and not just in this way that we listen to it, beautifully uh, shared by the readers here, but, but I think also to enter into the mystery of the cross for ourselves. Um, I had an experience years ago that, that was a real living example of the, of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. I was 11 years ordained and I was an associate pastor, my boss was the pastor, and a parish opened up in South Central called Mother of Sorrows, and um, it was a very poor, poor parish, the par poorest parish I'd ever been in, and um, when I, I chose to go there, I asked for it, and, and in those days we had a strict uh, policy of, of seniority, so you could only ask for a parish to become a pastor if you were in that class that was asking. And in those days, it was 16 years. It had come down to that point. Nobody in, in uh, 15 years was asking anymore. So the 16th year, anyone who wanted a parish could ask for it, and they would assign them to different parishes. But I thought, what the heck? I'm going to throw my name in there anyway. I know I'm not on the list. I'm only 11 years ordained. And they gave it to me. I was only one of two people that asked for it. So I got to become a pastor in my 11th year. And I have to say it was a little daunting at first. The, the parish had barbed wire wrapped around, you know, that coiled barbed right around all the fences. So that was scary right there. Why is it so dangerous here? Um, it was an all-black and an all-Latino parish. There were only three white people, and I was one of the white people. That's it. And that was daunting because, you know, say what you will, when you go into another culture and you're a tiny, tiny, tiny minority and three people's a tiny minority, there's a lot of awkwardness, or there can be. It was for me. But I learned so much and was gifted in so many ways by these two cultures, the Latino culture and the black culture. And in fact, I, I want to share a song, a little bit of a song that uh, was one that I learned there. And it's, it comes out of that whole experience of the spirituals. And this song just always gave me life. The Lord is my strength. And my salvation, the Lord is my strength. And my salvation, the Lord is my strength. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? That is a, a, a deep theme of the Negro spirituals because, of course, they lived in a time of slavery. And, and I'm wondering what, even today, 
when they hear this second reading that said that God came down not in his godly form, but in human form, in the person of Jesus, it says he took on the form of a slave. What wrenching language that must be for black people even today, but especially those who had ancestors, grandparents, great-grandparents who were slaves, uh, and families that were split apart, and children sold off, and husband and wives split up. How horrible. And I, I believe deeply, and always have, that the cross gives you two choices when it comes into your life, and it will come to everybody's life here, except the very young, if they don't make it through life. It either makes you bitter, or it makes you better. There's no other choices. When we experience the cross, we experience this, we either become embittered and a total victim and, and end up hating, or we become more full of life, better people. And that's what I did for Jesus. And I also did that, I, I found, in the black community. I want to tell you a story about a woman, um, Dorothy Thomas. When I got there, she was one of the first ones I met, and she was one of those women who did everything in the church, and she was always involved. And she came up to me very early in my arrival and said, Father Perry, she said, I'm Dorothy Thomas, and I want you to know I'll do anything you want, anything you need. I'll scrub the toilets, I'll scrub the floors, but please don't ask me to read. She said, I only got to have a third grade uh, education, and I can't read very well at all. And it's embarrassing, but please don't ask me to read. I'll do anything else that you need. So I promised her I wouldn't, and I didn't. Um, but sometime into my stay there in the 12-year period of time, I, uh, I read something that was really troubling to me. Now, I know in the South, in particular, there were white churches and black churches, and they didn't really mix too much. But in the Catholic Church, often they did. However, I read that the white people would sit in the front and the black people in the back, just like in the back of the bus. And um, I was, you know, just disgusted by that, but that's what it was. And then I read this. I read that in those churches in the South, the white people came up to communion first, and then the black people could receive the Lord. And I said to myself, no, not in my church. It can't be. But it was. So I went to Dorothy to verify this with somebody who lived through it. And I said, Dorothy, is this true? And I said to her what I just said to you. And she said, yes, Father, that's how it was. So I looked at her and I said, Dorothy, why don't you hate us? Meaning us white people. Why don't you hate us? I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me and very kindly just said, oh, Father, they were just ignorant. And she was absolutely filled with truth there. This was ignorance to the max, that people could treat other human beings like that and somehow think it was right or correct. But you see it in this story. There's such indignity you know, I, I will have read it six times by 3.30 today. Um, so I keep, when I do this so many times, I keep hearing things that pop out at me freshly or strong for whatever reason. And this one caught my eye at the last Mass uh, in a new way. And it, it says, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to scourge Jesus. And, and it says, 
this is when that conversation goes on, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus called Christ? And he says, Barabbas, of course. So he's going through the torturous time, and it says, then he released Barabbas to them, but after he had Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And then the reading went on. The soldiers and the governor took Jesus inside the praetorium and gathered the whole court around him. They stripped him of his clothes, threw a military purple cloak over him, wearing a crown of thorns, they placed it on his head. Now, if that doesn't have an impact on you, just sometime today, go glance at that crown of thorns. Instead of putting a golden, even a phony uh, metal, metallic kind of thing that looked like gold on his head to say he was a king, they put a crown, but a crown of thorns, drove it into his head. And this one says, wearing a crown of thorns, they placed on his head and a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! What indignity, taking the thing that he had preached about daily to them, about the kingdom of God, and making fun even of that. So they crucified him. And then as he's hanging on the cross, they couldn't stop mocking him. And they said this, He saved others, he cannot save himself, so... He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross now, and we will believe in him. And I say, ha, would they? Really, would they? No matter what he went through. Now, we get different pictures of the cross, because in Matthew, he says these words that we heard today. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't turn against God. He never turns against the obedience of the cross. He suffers and dies, but he, but he has that anguish, that feeling, God, how can this be? How can I end up so abandoned by everyone, by you? And I would dare say every one of us said that in some form at some time in our life. Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why again? And it could be through illness or chronic disease or could be through losing a spouse, a husband or wife, by death or divorce. It could be by having a child turn on you and end up in prison and whatever, that we just suffer so deeply the power of the cross. And when we do that, what happens to us? What happens when we suffer the indignity of the cross? Do we end up bitter? Or do we pass through it? So in the Gospel of Luke, we get a different picture. Matthew seems to celebrate a bit more the indignity and suffering and obedience of the cross, whereas Luke shows the transformation. And after they have crucified him and did all the horrible things they did to him, and he's dying, draining of his blood for three hours, suffering and being rejected and, and mocked and insulted, and he says the words in Luke, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. And in that instant... He goes from the indignity of the cross to the glory of the cross. He's able to see even love and forgiveness in the midst of his suffering. And the church presents all this to us because this is the central mystery of our, of our faith, the death and the resurrection of the Lord. This is that charismatic teaching. It's the most fundamental and basic and, and centralized thing that we believe, that God came into the world in the person of Jesus. They put him to death but he was raised up, and he offers that life to us. So as we enter into this Holy Week, you know, I, 
I don't know that families do this naturally or even spouses, but, you know, if there's ever a time that it would be worthwhile to share the gospel, to share this story, and to ask your children, ask one another, what, what impressed you most about that gospel today? What grabbed you most? What, what tore your heart open the most? And to let the power of this gospel be shared among us, because it is powerful. Now, as I said, everybody, you're, we're all going to suffer the cross in our life. Even as babies, now, I've never been a mother, I've never given birth, but, but I understand that when the baby comes out, there's, there's fluids and stuff that need to be cleaned out, so they spank the baby and make the baby cry. Is that right, mothers? Get the baby to cry and cough out everything and, and, and then wipe all the baby off. And everything. So even coming out of the womb, there's the cross. You get your bottom spanked. And you end up crying, screaming out crying as you enter into this life. Well, the cross is part of life. And we all experience it, every one of us. And the question is, will it lead us really, deeply and profoundly, with all of our faith and hope, will it lead us to the resurrection, to life eternal? Not just for Jesus the Christ, but for us. Do we really believe that? Do we really take that to heart?